Hey everyone, welcome to Craft Studios, the podcast where we pick three beers from a single brewery to pair with three acts of a movie we selected. We'll talk about the movie, the beers, and even about some movie snack pairings. I am your host, Jordan Daly, and with me, as always, my favorite co-host, Don Boone Vasudi. How are we doing today, Don? We're doing good. We're doing good. Uh, Again, as every episode that we start, we... Uh, implore all the listeners, thank you. Um, thank you for listening. It's really appreciated, especially you, Nancy. Uh, hope you're doing good. <laughs> hi, hi, Nancy. Uh, Nancy's Jordan's uh, mom, if you haven't picked up, uh, or if this is the first episode you're listening to. Um, you know, that kind of brings me uh, to a time where my mother uh, was probably maybe uh, 12 years old, maybe it was definitely before middle school, and she runs down okay. the stairs. She's like, Don, 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 there's a possum. In the garage, I need you to get it out. I was like, I'm not going to get a possum. I was like, I'm going to get rabies. It's like, no, no, Don, you need to get this possum out of the garage. Here, this is your weapon of choice. I was like, this is a laundry basket. It's like, yeah, you're going to trap it in the laundry you're basket. Trap it in a laundry basket. We're gonna, I'm going to trap it in the laundry basket, and then I'm going to push it out of the garage with it with it under the laundry basket, and and you know, and it just runs away, and then everything's fine. So. I get into the garage. My dad's there. He's ready to, uh, you know, the possum's over there. It's got his mouth open. It's like, ah, ah, he's like ready to eat me. And, you know, I'm only like 12 years old. I'm, I'm scared. And then all I have is this stupid laundry basket, like fighting off this, this, this terrible monster. Um, you know, it's like, if like an alien, you know, it's like, here, Sigourney Weaver, take this laundry basket, trap the alien and then get it out into the airlock. <laughs> like, no, that's, that's not good. So anyway, my dad pushes the thing out. The thing just starts out. It's like it's teeth. I was like, ah! and and I, and I I'm fighting the thing with the laundry basket, and I and I get it under there, and the thing's like, ah! and, and it shits all over the place, and it's great. Oh, and and then so I I have it trapped in the laundry basket. I you you never push the laundry basket. I was like I was trying to push it to the core of the earth to make sure that this <laughs> possum wasn't oh, going to come out and kill me. And then I push it out, a big stream of shit, you know, that goes between the garage all the way out to the driveway, and then out it goes, and then runs off into the darkness. And so, for all you uh, people with children... This was back in your uh, Pittsburgh days. Yeah, Western Pennsylvania, glory. Uh, So any of you with children who are about uh, 11, 12 years old, they are fully capable of fighting a possum with a laundry basket, so... (laughs) <laughs> all you uh, parents out there oh that's that's a good one man best best one i had when i was 12 uh i i was helping my father and my grandfather install a ceiling fan and uh they they decided to let me put in some screws they did not turn off uh the breaker and so of course when i put in one of the screws i was almost thrown from the ladder that i was on top of uh, and got electrocuted when i was 12 so that was oh, fun no. might t- tell you a lot about me now as an adult <laughs> <laughs> it's okay parents out there so there's some of these mistakes they're not they're not permanent they're not permanent because uh, <laughs> look look not. at us now <laughs> look at us now <laughs> Oh, oh boy! Man. So, Tom, what movie are we uh, we talking about today? Uh, we're, today we're going to talk about Five Hundred Days of Summer. Uh, one of my favorite movies. A uh, lot of lot of contention with this movie. Uh, a lot of triggering that goes on with this. Uh, talk about the movie a little bit. It's directed by Mark Webb, uh, starring Zoe Deschanel and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, Scott Neustadter and Michael Weber are the writers of this film. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely an interesting movie. Uh, I will say, rewatching it now as I, I've gotten a little older and had a couple more relationships under my belt, it did remind me of a previous relationship that uh, uh, was definitely a little triggering, and of course, you know, makes you get some introspection onto your own life at that point. But uh, it's it's definitely an interesting watch as you grow older. Something that definitely everybody's kind of been through. Uh, my my big take, and I've seen it pro- approximately five hundred times, uh, is that men, and not even just men, but people will project uh, what their perfect uh, mate will be onto a person, and as opposed to taking that person for who they are, they will project their own uh, perfection onto that person, and then that is where the uh, the ship starts springing leaks. Is that that's where the uh, that's where yeah. the trouble begins? Yeah, you know, and not only that, it stems from a lot of your own internal insecurities, uh, and so it's just 
it's definitely an interesting story to be told. Uh, they definitely play a little bit with the time frame and uh, making it, you know, non-linear. Uh, it's definitely an interesting way of doing this. I, I might have gone the linear route, but uh, I could see how this is a little bit more playful. Um, so just like the uh, first podcast we did with Gone Girl, uh, Jordan is exactly right. It is, it is uh, not uh, sequential. Um, so it, it'll the it, movie does an interesting thing, thing with the, uh, the numbers in the day. So it'll, it'll go back and forth between, um, you know, the breakup and then the courtship and then the middle and then in the end and then back to the beginning. So it's not necessarily sequential. So as we go through the acts, uh, we're going sequentially. Uh, the order of the story, but maybe not necessarily the order of the uh, the actual movie itself. So, yeah. And uh, today we're going to be pairing uh, 500 Days of, Days of Summer with Fifth Hammer Brewery out in Long Island City. It opened up back in 2016. They got some really great beers out there. Uh, they've been doing some good stuff for the past six years. So excited to get them on board, and uh, you know we're we're happy to be drinking their beer. Uh, you know, we did go out to their brewery. It's a nice little tap room, and uh, definitely was a pleasure. A lot of nice people out there. Really nice bar. Uh, you know, it's in. Uh, it, it's funny. We, we just talked about Williamsburg, so Long Island City is taking over Queens. However, Queens has uh, designated uh, zip codes for actual cities. So, uh, <laughs> if you're not really in Long Island City, you're not really in Long Island City. So, uh, but Don, Fifth I Hammer, am Queens Boulevard. <laughs> you are the uh, <laughs> it used to be called the Boulevard of Death, and then uh, you know, then they uh, took all the parking spots and made them into bike lanes. So now it's just the Boulevard of Traffic. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, Fifth Hammer, uh, really nice brewery, really nice bar uh, out in Long Island City. Um, yep, you should ve- stop. Met by. a very pleasant corgi out there uh, named Val. He was very sweet. Oh, corgis are the best. They wear socks, you know. They they're built into the they're built into the dog. How how awesome is that? It, it is funny. All right, so getting right into it here with uh, with Act One, uh, we did our normal pairing here, and the beer of choice is called Strudel Goblin. Uh, now, this version of the Strudel Goblin is uh, made with uh, some tangy, bright, juicy fruit goodness, jam packed with tart cranberry. Juicy blueberry, snappy blackberry, lactose is added in for the finishing touch of smooth, creamy mouthfeel, and a sprinkle of sweetness for a a balanced, palatable pleasure. Uh, Now, from my notes, this beer was super fruit-forward. The blueberry comes out front and center with this one, and then some solid sweetness coming in from the lactose. But like with all fruit sours, it does indeed have a tartness to it, just like when we're watching this movie. You're taking the good with the bad in this first act. You're going to watch Tom deal with his love and his loss and his own mental insecurities throughout this entire first act. Uh, Don, how about you give me some notes on the movie? Uh, yeah, so interesting. Like, So with the beer, it, it, you know, just a few of my uh, amateur notes. It's it's a nice uh, purple. Sorry, hue. I skipped you on that one. We're, no, we're no, listen. You're the beer guy. I'm the movie guy. Uh, <laughs> you're also a movie guy, too. It's okay. Uh, it. It's it's got like a lot of sweet, ta- a lot of brightness into it, and then really, essentially, this movie, um, you know, we, we've talked about a few other movies, and it doesn't really hit till like the middle or like to the end, but this movie really kind of comes out, you know, in the in the beginning. It, it just hits right away with the, you know, the infatuation, the the courtship. Um, it, it it does a lot of um, reverting back to the uh, the breakup. Uh, as well, but uh, again, you know, we're going uh, sequentially uh, for our act one, so a lot of this is uh, with the courtship, which is uh, which is quite funny. Um, it, you know, it, you know, you wouldn't want to go back too much with Gone Girl, but so whereas and that was a perfect uh, courtship, this is a little more realistic. So there's uh, so there's a bit of awkwardness. So Tom, it's not fully awkward. Uh, he actually is uh, well versed in speaking. With uh, <laughs> women, but there's definitely a little more realisticness in terms of like when he meets her, you know, there's some of the questions he asks her, uh, some of the failed attempts to woo her <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, he's got a few of those. So, you know, one of the one of my favorite scenes is, uh, you know, when they're um, in that coffee house. They're, they're the coffee house uh, with the tabletop uh, Donkey Kong version. What coffee house have you ever been to, Jordan, that had a, a, a tabletop arcade? Because that sounds awesome. I know it's L.A. Despite being in L.A., it does sound awesome, and they don't have anything like that in New York. 
Uh, I, I actually feel like there was one on Staten Island, but I could be completely lying and mixing it up with Barcade. Uh, but that is that is just how my mind works now. I could be con- construing bars and coffee houses all in one. Well, so with the the scene with that was, uh, you know, he was uh, he was the idea of good, and so he he's immediately infatuated with Summer. Um, you know, he, t- he tries to talk to her a little bit, and then so the story is that she comes back from the weekend. They're riding the elevator together. He's like, "Hey, Summer, how you doing? How was your weekend?" And then she said, "It was good." It's like you see what that shit means, man. It's like I'm sorry, did I did I miss something? And then so th- yeah. the best was uh, he's like I've given her plenty of chances, and then they flip over <laughs> to um, Summer's walking by. It's like I'm going to supply closet. Does anybody want anything? And Joseph Gordon goes, I know. I think you know what I need. She just kind of stares back. <laughs> and it's like, what 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 do you so need, Tom? <laughs> and then so Tom the uh, toner. I, Jordan, have you ever needed toner from a supply closet? I mean, most of the time as an IT professional, I get it myself. I uh, I don't do it myself, though. Uh, and also, I never had a printer on my desk, so I never personally needed toner. That's the question is maybe it was like greeting card toner or I, I don't know if he was needing like printer toner. But uh, that, that that's not the main meaning. The, me- the, the big point, though, is there is nothing more entertaining than watching another person try to court an, a, another person. Uh, that that is that is always a great comedy. Is watching another guy hit on another girl. It's it's oh, uh, yeah. great. Or or you know and or and or reverse or you know whatever. But you're um, either rooting for them or you're in there for a laugh. We're in there for the laugh. It's clearly uh, that's yeah. that's what we're all here for. That that's why we all love this movie. So, <laughs> um, but no, uh, and, yeah, yeah, and definitely you brought it up with the idea of good, like. Uh, that line killed me so much because it's one of these things where it's like uh, he takes good to mean so much more than it actually is. There's nothing going on to begin with between either of them, but he like has this idea that she's ruining their relationship in a sense where it's like, oh, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to go after her. You know, she's been given plenty of chances, but uh, there's like... There's not been any relationship at all, not even a friendship up until this point. So, like... The idea of good meaning that much more is just he's projecting. It's the classic overthinking. Uh, that that's yeah. something also be honest. It's the classic overthinking. Um, the, it, it, I guess it's you know something that we've all gone through and it's something that we're all uh, drawn to. It's the overthinking, the, the the assumptions that are drawn from almost little to like no knowledge of um, the other person. So you fill that void with uh, overthinking. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, you know, and and we get to we get to see all the things that Tom uh, starts to talk about when he's when he's beginning to fall for summer. You know, all his likes and dislikes, but their their meet cute, if you will, was uh, on the elevator where he's listening to the Smiths. Now, I may be a bit too young for this one, Don, and you may have to educate me. But man, do I not care about the Smiths at all. The Smiths are, um, they're real big in the uh, 80s. Uh, My sister had uh, their albums on vinyl. Um, The Smiths are are, are a a depression band. Uh, I I was trying to figure out what the modern equivalent to the Smiths are. And this band's not even even that new anymore. But they're kind of like the the 80s version of Radiohead, maybe, where... um, you know, a lot of songs about nobody loves them or they never, you never get the girl or like, you know, a lot of, like, you know, like a lot of that yeah. in their songs. Um, a lot of, a lot of Morrissey vibes going on there. Yeah. 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 Morrissey, the king of um, feeling bad about yourself. <laughs> um, oh yeah. I, I would probably say we're looking at, uh, what, maybe, uh, Bonnie Vare or, uh, Hozier. Yeah. Uh, granted now Hozier didn't really come out with many more hits, but, uh, I, I would I would say Bonnie Vare might be like a uh, a new age Smiths in a sense. So it, it has to be mentioned though. So the biggest thing about attraction and infatuation for a lot of and I, I'll just speak for Jordan and I for men. Uh, a lot of times, you know, ladies, it's just one thing. 
if it's just the one thing that you mentioned you either like or you think is stupid, sometimes that's all it takes. That's all that you need to rope <laughs> and hook that fish right in. And all there's left to do is reel. Um, but uh, yeah, his sister even calls him out on that. So, oh, that that was great. The uh, the wee tennis scene. Um, yeah. So that you know, this is a little bit afterwards. So they start talking, and then this is where some of the compatibility that comes up, or at least perceived compatibility that comes out from Tom. Uh, they talk uh, 20 minutes about banana fish. Jordan, do you know what banana fish is? I don't even know what banana fish are. Have you talked to any woman about banana fish for 20 minutes, uh, Jordan? I haven't talked to anybody about any fish for 20 minutes. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, but again, the same thing. So it was just getting back to it. Sometimes it just takes one thing or it just, you know, Chloe Grace uh, is great in this film. Um, something that works really well in uh, this movie and all movies is getting a, an 11-year-old to curse a lot. 11-year-old girl oh, yeah. to curse the, a lot. The wise, the wise younger sibling. That that is a uh, that uh, that always plays. Um, but yeah, uh, that's a that's a fun little movie trope. Her great line is, uh, you know, just because some cute chick likes the same bizarre crap you do doesn't make your soulmate. And Tom's just completely confused, <laughs> like, what? What do you what do you, what do you mean? Wait, <laughs> it what? was a great uh, cutscene after that. So. Oh, man. Um, but uh, a lot of stuff to go through, mainly a lot in the uh, first act, though. Um, Ikea scene, uh, not a lot of people like this. I didn't like this myself. Um, a little too cutesy. Uh, first off, Ikea, I guess L.A. Ikea is uh, only has like five to ten people in it because East Coast Ikea has, I don't know, I think the smallest amount of people I've ever seen in Ikea is about four people billion jordan what was uh, the yeah, last time you were at ikea it's upwards of 700 every single time i step in that store 700 people looking at sofas and when you want to look for a sofa in ikea that's at least how many other people that are also looking at sofas in oh, ikea yeah. um uh, some people like i guess or some people didn't um you some know they were just infatuated with ikea i yeah. would much rather just order online and get the stuff uh, delivered and I'll, I'll build it here. I'm fine with that. One of my favorite things though at Ikea though is uh, pronouncing the names of everything within the way in the confidence and in the way I think that they do. Uh, Flug was a good one. Um, Flugenburn. Kertusklinstar as my son was like we were at Ikea. It's like how do you say that? It's like Kertusklinstar and I said it with the confidence of God himself. It was like you know, meanwhile, it's, it was probably like something else, but uh, it was, uh, I believe it was a vase is what it was. But um, Nice, nice. Well, I mean, they're just trying to teach you some Swedish while you're there. <laughs> so, um, the house scene, the, you know, the playing other, house. The other great scene, uh -huh. the other great scene there. Oh, I, I apologize, you go. No, 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 it was going to say, like, playing house, the whole little thing, that may or may not have played... Uh, you know, but, I, you know, we're starting to see maybe a little bit of the issues of why. And then they kind of show that they've already broken up. But, um, you know, whether it's just a casual relationship or if it's quite serious. Um, in fact, Summer. Yeah. A lot of people don't like Summer. But Summer, and you can even see from the beginning, has always stated that the relationship is casual. So, uh, again, you know, Tom projecting putting his own future into it, uh, whereas in summer is not feeling the same way. So, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting just cause you don't, she's quite one dimensional in this first act. I mean, you get to understand what he likes and what he, you know, thinks she likes and why he's attracted to her, but she's actually a pretty one dimensional character throughout, you know, this act. And, and I think even going forward until kind of the last act where she's, her own person. Uh, she was always Tom's projection, you know? And that's really kind of one of the things that I'd read about this film and then just about, like, the relationship and Tom is that it's because it's all from his point of view. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, when there's narration of how she's feeling or when she's talking, it only goes for a few seconds and the narrator cuts it out. So he's essentially not listening. Um, he's only showing his point of view. And so, right, Summer is one-dimensional in this film. It, and I think that's really because you're only seeing Tom's point of view in this uh, film. And that's that's really kind of the point of it. And I think that's kind of like what draws a lot of people to the film or, or turns them yeah. off from the film because, you know, people yeah. hate Summer, but this is all 
from Tom's point of view. And so that's why, right, I agree with you. She she comes off one-dimensional, but it's only because that's all Tom sees and then everything that he wants to see. So that's that's kind of what that is. Yeah, man, that makes sense. Uh, the other scene that I really do love in this first act is the karaoke sequence. Uh, you get the uh, the snozberries, snozberries taste like snozberries guy from Super Troopers up there singing uh, and making a drunken fool out of himself. But you also get the uber talented Zoe Deschanel and Joseph Gordon-Levitt actually performing and singing. You know they actually have a, a band together. They did some singer songwriting stuff for a little while. The two of them. They did. Summer, uh, or Zoe, Zoe's actually quite a talented singer, and so I was reading some yeah. of the notes. Um, she had to tone down when she sang uh, Nancy Sinatra, uh, Sugar Town. Um, first off, what bar doesn't have Born to Run but has Nancy Sinatra? I suppose once in L.A. do, but uh, Jordan, have you run across a bar that didn't have any Bruce Springsteen? No, every bar has Bruce Springsteen. We're in New York, bud. I yeah, mean, no. I live in Staten Island. I am on the Bruce Springsteen Billy Joel dividing line. Yeah, maybe in West Hollywood, the uh, the, the the karaoke bars don't have uh, Bruce Springsteen. But you know what? Whatever, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I do enjoy their their singing prowess though. But Dom, what is your go to karaoke song when you get out there to perform? Oh, that's uh, that's easy. That's a uh, bust a move by uh, Young MC, MC Young, uh, Young MC, Young MC, <laughs> Young MC. You know, uh, you got no money, you got no car, and you got no woman. There you are. So there you uh, are. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, now uh, we've talked a bit about the uh, first act here. Um, let's kind of move into our uh, movie snack yeah. pairings. Um, that, that sounds good, man. Checking out your little uh, notes anything, here. I do have to say my go-to karaoke song, Taylor Swift Love Story. Oh. For those lucky enough to have seen it already, I put on a show. <laughs> the best, you're right. Uh, it, it, uh, that, that, that place, uh, you singing <laughs> a, a female song or with female vocals, that's, that. there you go, that place, that always plays. I like it. It always plays. I like it. Uh, but going into the movie snack pairing here, uh, while a flatbread with fig and arugula and feta would be super delicious, uh, we might be actually dealing with one of these that you got to bring your own snacks to the theater type of situation. They don't check bags. You don't have to worry. But I think a roasted gorgonzola cracker would go so well uh, with this beer. Uh, it's really any type of stinky cheese in general would be awesome. But those crackers should actually play really well in comparison with this fruity tart beverage. And I, I think a cheese tray can totally fit into your backpack uh, going into a theater, uh, along with that stinky cheese. You don't even have to wrap it up. It's just let it, just let it waft. Uh, nobody's going to ask you. They barely ask you for your ticket stubs uh, around here. But, um, yeah, you set up that tray. Uh, you know, you got the crackers on there. That's good. That's going to totally work out for you. Um, no. 100%. I mean, Trader Joe's has the little uh, the little snack packs nowadays with the meat, cheese, and nuts. It's a, it's a nice little snack for a movie. Just set that right up on your lap at the theater. No one's going to say anything to you, you know, uh, especially nah. here in New York where all the shows are th- uh, sold out. Um, you know, <laughs> shoulder to shoulder right in the first row. Um, that's, that's totally going to play. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah no. man. Um, so yeah, uh, that should uh, wrap up. Any other thoughts on Act One before we move on to Act no, Two? I think that's gonna wrap up Act One. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. Jordan, I think I've told you this. So, uh, you know, one of the one of the fancies of having uh, little kids is that they vomit. They like to vomit all over the place, and they like to vomit on the sofa. They like to vomit on your rug, on the coffee table, all over the TV. Um, so I'm getting uh, my middle son ready for school one day. I'm getting his shirt on. I'm sitting on the sofa. He's standing over on top of me, and he does the uh, the. I was like, oh, here it comes. I was like, oh no. I don't want to clean vomit this morning. I got to get to work. I got to get you to school. Oh no. And it's just like, blah. It's like, I didn't. So I spread out my body and my legs and I'm trying to catch all the vomit onto my body and save the sofa that I'm sitting on at the same time, because it's going to be so much worse cleaning the vomit off the sofa than cleaning it all myself. (laughs) 
So I'm just t- I'm taking oh, it all in. It's we're a, back. It's just a hot spray. <laughs> oh, we're back. Sorry. Um, we're back. Oh, hey. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, we are back here uh, with Act Two. Act Two picking up right when uh, right after Summer and Tom first have sex. Uh, the beer we are going to be pairing this with is called Desert Rain. Now, Desert Rain is a 4.8% Pilsner brewed with Bohemian Floored Malt, Pilsner Malts, and a touch of spelt. Uh, it's fermented uh, with a traditional Pilsner yeast and lagered for five weeks in an American oak fodder, resulting in a crisp, smooth, delicious Pilsner, uh, notes of clean, sweet malt, light florals, and some fresh cr- cut grass. Uh, for me, I, one of the things that you might be asking for any of your you new people to beer, what is a fodder? Uh, and basically, it's a huge barrel, uh, and in this case, it is an American oak barrel. Uh, and while the no- the notes of oak are very limited in this beer, it does play into the idea of uh, expectations versus reality, which we really get into in the second act, especially towards the end. Uh, when you're selecting a Pilsner, you always expect that crisp, clean, mildly sweet taste. But in reality, with Desert Rain, you get a little bit of those earthy, oaky tones chiming in, which you don't expect from your standard pills. Uh, so that kind of plays into your idea of expectation versus reality. Don, how about you give this beer a try? Oh, it's, uh, let me see here. Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Nobody makes sound when they drink beer. What is that? That's so stupid. Um, <laughs> I like I, One thing you mentioned with the barrels and, and you know, Amateur uh, beer drinker myself, I do like that they're taking um, elements from winemaking uh, into uh, brewing a lot of these beers, uh, getting some of the um, oakness into it. Uh, oakness, I don't know if that's a word, but um, you know some of the oakiness, uh, oakiness. Um, but I, I do like this. This beer is actually very good. Um, you're right; it, the color is very light. Um, and so you're going to expect, uh, you know, something kind of light, something maybe a little bit thin, but it's not. It's not at all. It's got a good full taste, uh, you know, expectation versus reality, uh, which we'll get into um, one of the main scenes and one of the scenes that a lot of people talk about in this film. Uh, but, uh, you know, before we get that, this beer is quite good. Um, uh, definitely uh, one of the uh, better ones that I've had in recent time. So. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Uh, you know, picking up into this second act, and you know, it's one of my favorite scenes, so I'm going to kick it off myself. I know I normally dish it off to you to give me some movie notes, but I got to get into it. I love musical scenes in non-musical movies. You know, similar to like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it just breaks that fourth wall enough to make it light and fun. You know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt even gives that quick like smirk to the camera knowing that it's breaking the fourth wall doesn't happen in a lot of movies but i do enjoy it every time i see it uh and it's of course to hall and oates which is just always a fun band see it's funny jordan i actually didn't like the musical uh scene um i thought it uh it was kind of like hokey a little bit i thought um <laughs> you know it, it was a little much you know the lip sync although i did like when he grabbed a bat and hit a home run Bat flip. That was uh, that was uh, pretty good. But um, you know, I did like Han Solo. Uh, you know, winking yeah. Han Solo. But uh, I, I'm not a fan of the the musical scene. I um, I thought it was. Uh, I thought that the, the movie was enough without it. But um, you know, to each his own. So of course. But yeah, we get into kind of the meat and potatoes of them, you know, really dating here. And I feel like I say meat and potatoes in every single one of our pods. So I'm going to try to stay away from it moving forward. But it gets into uh, a lot of stuff here. How about you go a little bit further into uh, the second act here, Don? Um, so, yeah, so like what Jordan's saying, uh, this is really, we're, we're kind of past the courtship. Uh, the movie actually becomes a lot, little more um, sequential. Uh, we're going through the dating scenes. Uh you do start to pick up on some of the leaks in the ship. I did say that already, but um, you do see some of the cracks uh, in the relationship a little bit here and there. Um, I, you know, I did mention, you know, with the narrator and the interrupts, you know, not really paying attention. But, um, you know, we just start seeing some of the incompatibilities where, you know, the first act is all about, you know, everything's so compatible. Uh, 
you know, they're over at a record store. It's 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 a cute conversation, but um, you know, Summer loves Ringo Starr. Uh, her, no one loves Ringo Starr. No one Don. loves Ringo Starr. He is in the Beatles, but Summer says uh, the best Beatles song is Octopus Garden. Um, I cool. I myself also the, the best song is not Octopus Garden. The best Beatles song is Norwegian Wood. <laughs> that is, uh, you know, the sitar. Uh, Jordan, have you? Um, how much? How much do you think it costs to take sitar lessons uh, here on the East Coast? Uh, what do you? Uh, what do you think that runs uh, like an hour? I I gotta say that's that's a hundred dollars an hour at I, least, right? With inflation nowadays, it's got to be at least a thousand dollars an hour. I mean, listen, if you go to a party, <laughs> you got your beers there, uh, and you bring your sitar and you start playing it, I think that's 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 you're you're gonna you're gonna be uh, people are gonna talk about you for years, years, ten years from now. There's like remember Jordan. Yeah, but they're going to make fun of you for years, <laughs> not talk about you. They're going to make fun of you for years. Either or. Either or. Just like we made fun of Ringo for years, we're going to make fun <laughs> of you Playing my sitar. So, um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, we, we joke a little, but, you know, it, it's a lot of the things that were starting to come out, you know, in the second act about, like, they're dating. Um, they go to a bar. You know, he gets in a fight with the guy from the league. Uh I I don't contend. By the way, I think that bar is also the bar from the new girl. Uh, I'm not 100% certain, but the pattern on the wall and the way the bar was laid out, it reminded me very much of the new girl, the other Zoe Deschanel uh, vehicle. That's interesting because uh, that that's like probably the only bar. They show a lot of different bars from like L.A. Uh, a lot of like little neat little bars that they have. Um, that was probably the most like corporate bar that they went to. Um, it looks like a bar that you know you take uh, clients to on a big uh, sales meeting. Yeah. But um, that was uh, yeah no uh, the new girl also uh, staged out in L.A. I have never seen the new girl Jordan, um, but um, I did mean to catch that. Uh, I know surprising since I love Zoe Dashanel so much. Um, I know you do. But, um, yeah. You know, I, this, this fight always happens. This fight, like, it's it doesn't always have to be a physical fight. It can be a verbal thing. You know, anytime you're in one of these weird courtships where it's not necessarily a relationship, it's a friendship, but you're still into each other, there's always that moment where some, some guy just steps a little bit too far into it and you're friends, so you don't know how to react and you can't react in the moment. And if you do react in the moment, you look like a jerk off just like he did. Like, it's it's such a tough spot to be in. It's like, can I be like, hey, we're having uh, a moment here. Get away from us. Because then it looks like you're stepping on, on toes for the girl as well. And so it's... This is one of those things that anytime you're in this type of relationship, this always happens. It It's guaranteed. It's definitely like one of those uh, toxic masculinity things where, um, you know, you may not – Jordan is exactly right. You may not get into a physical fight, although, um, you know, this one time I had a coworker got hit in the head with a bottle on a New Year's party. Uh, you know, that's unfortunate. But you're right. It's – I was – Gonna say that maybe not necessarily you always get into fight, but you always do. There's always some kind of you know question of your masculinity, uh, you know, while you're dating somebody that always occurs kind of like in the in you know during the courtship and things like that, where you know, you know, men will unfortunately feel the need to like prove themselves, and then also you're right, it, it's also the you know. It, probably may or may not have reacted that way if he wasn't with, you know, the person that he was trying to be with and trying to kind of show off, um, you know, how masculine it is. And then I think this scene, it wasn't so much, it wasn't so much that for Tom, but just that he had already been upset about whether they're a couple or they're not a couple. And that's kind of, that's kind of where like they try to stir that pot in the movie too. Yeah. There's a lot of back and forth on that one in this act. Yes. Yes. So there's a lot of, um, and and I still contend it, you know, and I know a lot of people don't like summer, but summer still has never said that, you know, she wanted to be committed. She just wanted to, uh, if I'm not mistaken, summer actually never says to Tom that he loves him. 
because even in the IKEA scene, we we going back a little bit. She said that she liked him. She never said that she loves him. So, um, yeah, you know that's uh, you know a lot of people take Tom's side, but Summer really never put out the intention that this was going to be something more than casual. No, one hundred percent. And you know, even in hindsight, and the the relationship I was talking about, yeah, you know, it, it was never supposed to be that way. Uh, and you know, you, you get angry about it in the moment, but you look back at it and you're like, well, I was a jerk. Uh, yeah. It takes a look back a lot of times, uh, you know, now that we've become the relationship podcast, but, uh, it, it takes a lot. Sometimes it takes, you need to take a subjective look back on these things to kind of really see what the reality is. So, um, 100%. The, the other scene I really enjoy in this uh, in this act is when he Tom takes Summer to his favorite place, which is literally just overlooking a park that overlooks all these buildings, uh, and he starts to talk about architecture in this very passionate manner. And now this is one of those things that guys love the chance to get when they're dating. We want to talk about the things we're passionate about. We get excited. We get excited that you're into it. And, you know, he puts on his show talking about architecture. But you can see in this scene that he's really not happy with where he is in life. You know, he's super passionate about architecture, but he's kind of struggling with the fact that he's writing these greeting cards. Uh, and it really shows that he needs to, like, find himself and love himself before he can really be happy. And he's putting Summer into this situation where he's getting the love out of Summer instead of out of himself. So it's a really tough spot in there, but it's a really great poignant scene. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, I would say at least, like, 80% of people are working in something that, is just kind of paying bills or just kind of paying the rent or, or getting you through, um, life. And, you know, like, I think kind of rarely, uh, a lot of people will go through, you know, what their true dream was or what their true love is, you know, so, you know, in terms of, you know, that's kind of like the big, you know, fight between just making money or being creative and creating something as your career. And, you know, and just kind of, you know, coming to the realization of giving up on that. Um, but that, that, that's always a good scene. I think that hits with a lot of different people um, who oh, yeah. have had original loves, or original desires to do something else and then kind of fell into, you know, what they're doing right now. Um, you know, I don't know how one gets a job writing greeting cards. I didn't know you needed an entire office to write greeting cards. <laughs> Jordan, that's a huge company that they work at. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was at least 500 people in that office writing. They had teams of eight people writing just different like condolence cards, bar, uh, bar mitzvah cards, happy birthday cards. I, I never knew that the greeting card was greeting card industry was so large. Did you have any uh, indication of uh, understanding that? <laughs> uh, no, I, I did not. Uh, it was quite the shock to me as well. I figured it would just be one angry person just typing away at a computer. But apparently there's like 82 people that are needed to write greeting cards. There's levels of like organization. There's a stand-up call meeting. They did, you know, in the beginning of the meeting, there was like a 12-person meeting that they had about uh, other Mother's yep. Day. Um, you know, the CEO was on board with that, <laughs> you know, had assigned Tom to do some write-ups on that. I, it's, uh, it's, it's a well-oiled machine greeting cards, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, there there is plenty of a market for it. You know, it's one of these things where it's, look, I'm not against greeting card companies, but they invented holidays. Come on. You know, we're out here getting Labor Day cards for people just because greeting card companies say we need to get them. It's like, what's the shortest possible, most ambiguous message I could get out to show, like, what this momentous occasion, you know, can be? How can I wrap up this momentous you know, years upon years moment in about like, you know, 10 words, less, probably like five words. So, um, but, uh, yeah, no, uh, second act, uh, you know, talk to me about the wedding a little bit. Oh yeah. So, um, so, so part of the second act is, uh, part of the breakup, um, that occurs again, we, we knew that they were breaking up as not sequential. So, um, one of the scenes is when, Summer and Tom go to one of the co-workers' weddings. Uh, they take the train up to Santa Monica. Santa Monica was correct. Um, to, yeah, to, and this is, this is post-breakup. Post-breakup, right. And so yeah. they bump into each other on the train. 
and they talk a little bit. Uh, they they get to the wedding. They have like a really good time. Uh, there's there's a there's a glimmer of hope. Um, some people get upset. Feel like Summer led Tom back on to the relationship with the uh, wedding scene. Um, we'll, we'll get to. It. She explains later that she really just wanted to have a good time. She was already with the new boyfriend at the time. And we're skipping a little, but uh, Jordan, what, what do you think about that in terms of? You know, did you feel like Summer was leading him on, or did you think she really just wanted to have so, a good time? This was the only part that I think uh, that I would fault Summer in, mostly because she does not mention she has a boyfriend. Uh, not even they weren't engaged at that point, weren't married at that point. But she doesn't even mention or come across that you know there is anyone else in her life at that moment, and dealing with somebody that you know is infatuated with you the way Tom was infatuated with, with Summer. You gotta, you gotta say that. I mean, you're gonna just, you know, give that person an opening, you know, and, uh, when you give a, when you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk. Right. <laughs> and so I, this my is the sticks, only part that I actually fault Summer. On. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, they, they drink whatever they want. They do. They do. Sometimes they drink a uh, beer. Um, <laughs> I, I do, in a sense, agree with you with that. Uh, I think she did just kind of want to have a good time and then just to kind of talk a little bit. And, you know, they had, you know, they had broken up already. She never did say that they were going to get back together. Uh, you're probably right. She probably should have thought about it. I think she didn't want to bring it up because she didn't want to ruin the time that they were going to have together. Um, of course. She explains that yeah. she just, she just, that's what she wanted. And, that, that was something that Tom always knew that she was always going to do what she wanted. And then, so that was kind of from the beginning, but, um, you know, uh, do uh, they do big, have a big good question here though, Don, big question at a wedding live band or DJ. Oh, DJ, DJ. I mean, DJ, well, right? it, it, eh, it depends on what kind of wedding you have. So, you know, here on the East coast, uh, you know, you might typically get married out in like Long Island or you might get married in Manhattan. Typically, there's going to be a big portion of it inside. Um, they got married out in uh, Santa, Santa Monica. It's, it's it's the beach up north from Los Angeles. I, we're from the East Coast. Um, so the, the wedding was outdoors. Uh, the, the, uh, the weather was perfect. So maybe because maybe the DJ doesn't play really that well outside, but... I don't know. Here, us guys on the East Coast, uh, DJ, DJ all the way. What about you? Oh, 100. The only live band I would ever want performing at my wedding would be the Dan Band from Old School and uh, uh, Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> uh, I, I think those guys would just be a fun wedding band in general. So, uh, you know, that's the only way I'd go live band. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on the couple getting married. I know it was. Um, it was an older couple. Uh, that that's it was Millie, I believe she, that was the character's name that she got married. Um, they were an older couple, um, so probably maybe they didn't want the loud DJ. But uh, yeah, no DJ, DJ all the way. So yeah, and then the the last scene here, you know, she invites him to the rooftop party, uh, and this is where we really got into that idea of expectations versus reality because they literally do a split screen for us. To show what Tom expected versus what really happened. And, you know, it's a really interesting dichotomy on, on seeing that, uh, you know, split screen right in front of you. Uh, Don, if you want to go into that a little bit. Yeah, no, that this is kind of like uh, a lot of people might say this is like a master class in filming in terms of how to kind of describe, you know, what people's feelings are and what people are really thinking. I thought this was done really great. You, you, Jordan, you're right. So what Agreed. the scene, what happens is, so it does the exact split screen and they play it uh, at the same time. And so we see what Tom's expectations are. He's going to go to the party. He's going to give her the book. She's going to love it. And then they're going to sit together, have a lot of alone time and talk. And then, and then what the reality is, he's going to go to a party. Then he doesn't know anybody. She, he's going to give the <laughs> books. He's going to be like, yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, he's going to end up, you know, talking about greeting cards, about his job a lot. And then, you know, it was a great drinking a little bit too much by himself, drinking too much by yourself. That doesn't ever bode well. And then I like how like it, it takes the reality scene um, portion of the film and then it, it breaks out 
over on top of the expectations and it shows where Summer's uh, he's being he's engaged. She's actually engaged already. And so she's showing the ring to everybody. And so um, that's that's crushing. Uh, so whereas and I didn't blame Summer so much for the wedding time that they had. This is brutal. I, are you really oh. going to invite your ex-boyfriend to your engagement party? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, maybe it's not the engagement party, but like, are you, this is how you're going to tell him at a, at a party he knows nobody where he's surrounded by strangers that, oh, hey, by the Seriously. way, I'm engaged. Yeah. It wasn't even it, a full it year. It was definitely crushing. Yeah. The, I, you know, whereas, in a, you know, I just, I'm a, I'm a summer defender, but this one, that one's tough. That one is, that, that's a rough one. So, um. Yeah. And, and I always have that feeling. It's, uh. There, there's a what the movie Good Luck Chuck, right, with uh, Dane Cook. Yep. Oh, <laughs> but the moment the moment he hooks up with the girl, she finds the love of her life, right? And I feel like th- that was like right there. It's like, it's it's the one or after. It's always the one right after that they fall in love with, uh, and a very fitting, very crushing. Yeah. No, it's uh, that one's pretty brutal. Uh, y- you know. I, Defender as much as I can, but that's you know maybe he could have just sent Tom an email. It's like, hey, by the way, I'm engaged. You know, maybe a text. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but um, that was like, no, no. Why don't you come over, and then you know you can meet my new uh, my new fiance. That's 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 you know that's not good. But uh, yeah. yeah, that uh, I think that kind of takes us through that. That's kind of like the end of Act Two um, of the movie, yeah. or at least that's the. Uh, how we feel the uh, the second act ends. Um, you know, why don't we go over a little bit of these movie snack pairings? Um, you got it. This movie it takes place out in L.A. What's out in L.A.? Fish tacos. Fish tacos would crush with this beer. Uh, it, you know, you get that mild uh, seafood going on with the pilsner that's got a little bit of that earthy tone. And the, but if you want to go and stick with some kind of traditional snack, you could go with some kind of nacho plate with some jalapenos on there, like a little Mexican-style nacho plate. Uh, that would also go really well with this pilsner. I had a, I had a co-worker, and I would tell um about, like, all the different tacos, you know, like, from Brooklyn and, you know, how they used to be in L.A. And uh, his comment was like, oh, you like white people tacos. So, um, you know, with the with the red cabbage, you know, the the, the spicy mayonnaise. I, I love them, by the way. I love white people tacos. Um, but, yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. Uh, you know, is there white people nachos as well? Uh, I think nachos are for everybody. Um, but... Um, yeah, no, I think um, this pairs well with uh, tacos as well. Maybe a carnitas taco. Um, you know, maybe with a pineapple uh, coleslaw. A, uh, a little bit sweet, but I, I think the bitterness of um, Desert Rain uh, goes well with it. So, um, right good on. choice, good choice. Excellent. And uh, with that, that wraps up Act 2, and we'll take a short break. we're back act three we are picking up right after that rooftop party where tom gets crushed the beer we're what the beer we're gonna be pairing with is going to be called troublesome jellyfish now troublesome jellyfish uh is a 7.5 percent hazy ipa uh dry hopped with mosaic and motueka or motuka uh, Troublesome Jellyfish is juicy with notes of peach, tangerine, lemon lime, and blueberry. Uh, now, pairing here with the Hazy IPA because for young Tom, he is basically stuck in a haze post-summer. Uh, he goes into a depression, he's in a fog, he can barely work. Uh, and while the IPA does have some bitterness to it, the fruit-forward juicy flavors give this beer a smooth, light finish that plays well on the palate. Uh, similar to the way this movie really ends. You know, it is a little bitter still, but we still get that smooth ending where Tom, you know, grows into the person that he is. Uh, Don, how about you give this a try for us? Let me see here. Grab that. Uh, mm. I like this. I like this. It's very good. Uh, just like you said, um, has like some juiciness, nice uh, smooth finish. Um 
like the name, uh, all jellyfish are troublesome. Um, you know, when you get stung by a jellyfish, they say that uh, you're supposed to have somebody pee on you to get the sting I'm pretty sure out. that's a myth, just created by friends. Amy Amy Schumer had a, a great shtick on that, that, uh, you know, she's like, oh, I was at the beach, and then, you know, this guy was peeing on me, because uh, that's what you're supposed to do when a jellyfish stings you. I don't remember a jellyfish stinging me, but hey, whatever. Okay, so um, that was that was on one of her earlier uh, sticks. But um, yeah, no, all jellyfish are uh, are quite troublesome. Uh, now this is a very good beer. It's uh, definitely uh, you're picking up some of those uh, fruit tints, and that that's really what it's all about. With the third act, is redemption. Um, we. Uh, we we kind of pick up on the third act is you know he's after the breakup he's he's really mopey he goes into the depression but I, I think what comes out of that is just him becoming an architect and you know really pulling himself together through that uh, and I think that's just kind of what every breakup really needs to have is just a lesson you know the lesson learned learning about yourself learning about you know, moving forward and just really kind of stealing yourself after a uh, traumatic uh, event. So um, why don't you go over some of your movie notes here, uh, Jordan? Yeah. Um, you got some so, I mean, here. look, I, I this is this is a little bit shorter of, uh, of an act. You know, we, we kept everything a lot in act two. But I think here, you know, the first thing that it's going to come to mind is the office breakdown. Uh, look, it's it's a bit much. Uh, I always see this in movies, you know, the big speech when you're quitting and everybody's sitting there in the conference room and he's going off about how greeting cards are evil and people are ruining people because they can't speak anymore. They just use a card to say it. And it's like, eh, like, you know, all right, that's a little bit much, but good for you for quitting your job and, you know, trying to reinvent yourself here. Uh, how did you feel about this scene, Doug? I agree. It, it, it's just like a movie trope where, like, you know, it, they're, like, so depressed that it, it leaks into, like, work. 90-plus percent, and I'm always using fake statistics as uh, as I like those. Um, most people will be able to just kind of go to work, you know, leave their feelings at the door. Uh, you, you have usually so many things to deal with that the, the work is really kind of like the escape away from any kind of like traumatic breakdown, but like, of course, movies like to hammed up a little bit. Uh, it, it was hammed up quite a bit oh, yeah. over here. Um, but right. I, I think it was really kind of the catalyst to get him to quit and show that, you know, that, that this is what the moral of the story is, is that you should, um, go for what you want to do, or you want to find what makes you happier, makes you who you are. And so, um, yeah. That's a good point. And, and, and once he goes back and has yet another conversation with his wiser, younger sibling, uh, he has that retrospective finally, right? That, that introspective moment where he's looking at not the good moments that he had with Summer, but all of the bickering, the little fights when he just didn't want to be around her or she didn't want to be around him. And, you know, it, it helps him kind of erase the memory of summer in a sense, not that it, it's erasing it because obviously he sees her in about 20 minutes anyway, but like it helps him try to find himself and like reinvigorate himself in a new life. Uh, and I think that's one of the freeing experiences of like starting new. Uh, and I think it really hits hard at the end of this movie because he does have to start almost completely from scratch after he was crushed. No, I agree that that was a good scene. Um, so that, you know, you do see the retrospective uh, look back on the um, on the relationship. Great song that uh, they picked, by the way. Uh, Amazon does this neat thing where it tells you what song's playing. Uh, it's a Simon Garfunkel song, Bookends. Uh, downloaded it right away after I saw um, what the song was. But yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely something that he looks and he sees like a lot of like the breaks or a lot of the you know, he's getting more into the reality of it. You know, we just talked about that scene and what, you know, he's breaking away with what he's projecting and what was really, you know, important and what really happened. So, you know, taking all that and learning from it, that's, you know, the most important thing that, you know, occurs really here in this third act. Yeah. And then I think even just to close it out even more, you get this park bench meeting 
Uh, give me some notes on the park bench meeting here, Don. So, yeah, uh, this is an interesting scene. So he, he they do a little bit of a callback. He goes back to, uh, I believe that's Bunker Hill in Los Angeles. I've never been, but um, that's uh, the park overlooking um, the part of downtown L.A. And so Summer's there as well. And so they finally have kind of like that closure conversation, which you know, a lot of times may or may not happen in relationships. But uh, it was kind of a it was a good movie uh thing that they did at the end um summer explains that you know why we, we were just talking is why she didn't tell him about it at the wedding why did they dance together and then she kind of just simply says she wanted to she just wanted to have kind of like a last good time with tom um you know possibly as friends uh you know, kind of getting that closure. One of the things that Summer mentions, because there's there's a lot of hurt, and we were just talking about, you know, it's like he just, she gets engaged very quickly. I don't even think it was a year, you know, we're going all the 500 days. It was definitely less than a year after breaking up yeah. that she's engaged. And she explains that it's like, no, I learned that from you, Tom. Uh, it never believed in <clears throat> coincidence, never believed in, um, you know, true love, and then it just happened. Uh, so Summer, uh, just just like how Tom, you know, just needs to meet a woman who likes the Smith, Smiths, uh, <laughs> Summer needs a man who is really interested in the book she's reading. So that's all it takes for Dorian Summer, Gray. Summer Finn. Yeah, <laughs> is that the book? It's Dorian Gray. That is the book. Um, you know, so guys, you know, get your books out because, uh, you know, you're going to meet women like Summer Finn. <laughs> No, it's, it's a very interesting conversation. You get into the ideas, and, and this leads even into the, the final scene here, where it's the idea of destiny versus consequence. And, you know, uh, Tom then goes to his, uh, his interview at an architecture firm and, of course, meets a girl named Autumn that he asks out for coffee. And, you know, that, was, that was interesting. Um, so she yeah. mentioned that he'd seen him at the park a lot. Uh a real, a real, real quick line that that she that she says is like, "Well, I never seen you there." It's like, "Oh, you must not have been looking." And um, I think this happens a lot. You know, a lot of times you, your heart gets filled with something, and you don't have any room for anything else in it. And then so that's why he never know he never saw uh, the you know the full picture because he had already um, been so infatuated with Summer. So that that was an interesting little thing. A lot of people. Uh, the feedback is like, what do you mean he just meets Minka Kelly at the end like that and everything's like fine? Uh, but the, the couple of the, those quick lines at the end were um, kind of good in wrapping up the film and kind of just given this uh, kind of the bow on top of it. So, um, yeah. you know, and then again, no, it, it no. one of my favorite films. Oh, what, what are your thoughts here? And this is more just outside of the movie life in general, but. What are your thoughts on destiny, destiny versus coincidence? Especially in this like movie, they talk about it. They never really get into whether the person believes in destiny or if it is just coincidence. They do it a little bit in the, uh, the narration, but they don't get too far into the idea of destiny versus coincidence. What are your thoughts on it? It's interesting because, you know, the movie likes to play upon a lot of like the destiny and like the universe and, and pushing it in the, uh, the narrator right. He, he goes in you know, in a city of 500,000 and, and 800 offices or whatever the number was that these people meet. And then so at the end, it's always, it's all about, it's like, you know, oh, so Tom has reinvented himself. He finally understands everything's coincidence. Not, there's no destiny. There's no universal force. But, you know, then it's, you know, Minka Kelly's character's name is Autumn. It is you know, the season obviously after summer. And of so it, it, it still it still kind of plays into that whole destiny and then what the universe kind of pushes you towards or what is meant to be and what's not meant to be. So it's, uh, you know, the movie itself, uh, is, a, is a firm believer in destiny. Um, the, the, you know, the realization is that everything's coincidence, but it still kind of like likes to play that destiny bit. Yeah, I. It's one of those things where every movie, it's like you are my density. You know, is the the big uh, line from Back to the Future, and and it, it's a big trope. The idea of destiny versus coincidence. I 
personally, you know, think it's more coincidence than destiny. Uh, I don't think there is a higher power guiding me towards anything or this universal force. Uh, I think everything does happen for a reason, but at the same point, those reasons come out of nowhere. Uh, I, I do believe that, you know, he was obviously meant to be there at that moment, and as we are meant to be there in all the moments of our lives. But uh, overall, I, I don't go as far as destiny. I think it is more a strong coincidence. I, I agree with that. I, I think a lot of times, you know, in terms of like relationships and things like that, everything's based off your decisions that you make, and everything is that, you know, a lot of times you will use the excuse of destiny for everything, but everything's kind of leads down to coincidence and the, de the decisions you make and the direction that it goes. Uh, we'd like to think that some kind of universal force is pushing something, but it, you know, in, in a sense of reality, it probably isn't. <laughs> oh, I do like that the girl's name is autumn though. Uh, it also plays into the idea that as we get older, we enter the winter of our lives. Uh, so, you know, if you want to play into that, he was with summer when he was younger. Autumn is the next stage of his life, which should last until the winter of his life. So hopefully he does get married and lives a long, happy life with Autumn. Yeah, I, uh, you're right. That's a, that's a good question. Does Tom get married to Autumn? I, yes. I'm going to go yes. I hope he does. They both like architecture. They both seem like successful kids. I think they get it done. Autumn, you know, she only says, so Mika Kelly maybe says maybe only three lines in this film, but it's interesting. I pick up, even just like from the limited amount of dialogue, yeah, she's very different from Summer. And so I, I think Summer is, is, she's very private. She likes to keep a lot of things to herself. Uh, you know, she does share some things with Tom and Tom, you know, overthinks those things. But, um, you know, I it, it's interesting because, uh, from the few lines that she says in the film, I, I the thing that I picked up, she's it very different from Summer. Definitely. And I think more willing to be out there for herself. You know, Summer was very closed off in general. Uh, Autumn, you know, sat there for a couple of seconds and said, hell, why not have a cup of coffee with you? Uh, definitely way more out there and, and more uh, ready to see what comes her way. Uh, so that, that kind of takes us to the end of this, um, you know, real quick before we wrap up, what are the, some of the snack pairings you got for uh, troublesome jellyfish? Sure. I think, uh, I think the best one here, and this might actually be my favorite, uh, pairing of the day, but I think fried cauliflower would go super well with a nice hazy IPA. And you could get that at all, like these new draft houses and everything like that. Uh, Alamo draft house, please sponsor us. Uh, but feel free to get a little healthy. It's fried cauliflower, but it's definitely, you put it in the air fryer. It comes out a little bit nicer. You don't got to deep fry it. Uh, and, but as far as candy goes, as if you're concerned with that, uh, you could go with a classic lemon head. Uh, let that acidity cut through the IPA. It'll come out real nice for you. Jordan, I don't know if you know this. You can eat a jellyfish. Um, I had jellyfish at my wedding. Uh, it's uh, it, it's it, you, you season it with a little sesame oil. With um, uh, it's it's kind of salty. Um, I don't know if it necessarily goes with troublesome jellyfish, but it's funny, you know, you're going over your snacks and it's like, you know, you, jellyfish is a snack. Um, it's, uh, may or may not be everybody's cup of tea, but, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can eat a jellyfish. You can use it in a celebratory manner as well, too. So interesting. I, I did not know. And to tell you the truth, the jellyfish might be troublesome for my stomach. Uh, <laughs> so it, could, it wasn't, could be it wasn't a popular dish. Uh, at the wedding, um, you know, probably got a 50% approval rating on it. So <laughs> <laughs> right on. Very cool, man. Well, any other notes on this movie or on no. the beers? Uh, no, it, it, everything's like really good. Uh, fifth hammer, uh, highly recommend, uh, the bar. It's pretty, uh, it's in a neat area in Long Island city. Um, got to get a very large, nice selection. We've only picked three, but, um, the, the thing that I took away was it has a huge selection. Um, you know, we, we even had trouble selecting some of it uh, between the troublesome jellyfish, uh, the, uh, the the orange cream uh, sour ale. I, I can't remember the name, but the, that was uh, a very space good. Space Whip. Orange Space Whip, I believe. That was good. That was very good as well, yeah. too. 
Um, lot a lot of good beers at that uh, brewery. Uh, excellent, um, excellent brewery. Well, thank you, everybody, as always, for listening here. Uh, just to close up, Dom, where can the people find you? Uh, we can find us uh, at Instagram. I'm at Boone is Don. Um, we are uh, still working or may possibly have finished the Instagram page. Uh, Jordan, what was that uh, Instagram handle for the podcast again? That would be Craft Studios Pod. Craft Studios Pod. Uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, we'll post that information up, uh, put some of the show notes, uh, pictures of the beers possibly, um, the tag out some of the breweries, uh, some of these excellent breweries that we're going to. Um, everybody's been real gracious when we told them about the podcast. Uh, you can also find me at Don is Boone on Twitter as well. Right on. And you can find me at J underscore Digglesworth on Instagram. And that is, uh, we'll, we'll keep on putting things out on our own personal Instagram as well as the Craft, uh, Craft Studios pod Instagram in the future. And one last thing, I know we're just getting started out. Uh, this is our third episode. Um, love uh, to get some of the feedback uh, from some of the listeners. Uh, greatly appreciate uh, everybody listening. I know everybody's busy. Uh, a lot of people aren't commuting these days, so uh, greatly appreciate um, you taking some of your time to listen to us uh, talk about beer, movies, uh, relationships, whatnot. Um, but uh, again, greatly appreciate that. Uh, thanks for um, listening, and thank you for your time. And, and to tack on to that, leave reviews. Give us five stars if you want. Give us four stars if you want. Give us a real rating. We're, we'd appreciate it. But just uh, give us some reviews. Give us some ratings. We'd appreciate any insight. Jordan, why don't you uh, sign us off here? All right, Don, thank you as always. Everybody, have a great evening. Mm-hmm.